Good morning. Uh, once again, I want to appreciate God for this opportunity to share. I want to thank God for Pastor Jim that gives me this privilege. It's not easy, you know, um, yielding the pulpit because you don't know, as I said before, you don't know who, what the person you want to say so that, you know, if you have to clean up after. So you don't, you don't know what's, you know what's going to happen. But I really appreciate that confidence, the privilege to come and share. And I shall we pray and then we'll pray for Pastor. Father, we're grateful tonight, today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Acts, uh, turning the world upside down. We thank you for Pastor Jim. We pray for quick recovery. We pray you will bless these words to our heart. You will stir us as we go through the book of Acts today. Have your way in all our lives, Lord. We thank you for people watching online. Lord, speak to all of us. In Jesus' name we are prayed. Amen. So once again, we want to appreciate us for today. So um, we might not read. But today's passage is Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. Uh, we want to continue in the book of Acts. Uh, uh, the message today is uh, the message to philosophers in Athens. Uh, Paul... On his trips, he's now in Athens, and uh, God had to will have to use him mightily in Athens. So that's the the topic today: Paul's message to the philosophers in Athens. Uh, the text is uh, Acts seventeen sixteen to thirty four. So, um, as a recap, you know we've been going through the book of Acts, turning the world upside down. Uh, last week, Pastor uh, Jim was. Uh, Maybe taking us through the first 15 verses in the book of Acts 17. Just to recap, Paul, uh, continued his second missionary journey from, uh, chapter 14. So here in early last week, what we learned was he was in Thessalonica. He preached, uh, the, the Bible in Thessalonica. He was, uh, assembling or gathering with, uh, people in the, uh, synagogues. He was reasoning with people. But in Thessalonica, some Jews came around from where it was before, and they started stirring up the people. And then what happened? Uh, persecution arose, and Paul had to leave. He flee, or he fled. So here's also, now he was in Berea. So last week we learned about the Berea, that the Bereans were more noble than the church in Thessalonica, or the Brenders, in that they studied the word of God faithfully to see what Paul said, if it was true. So they were, that's the reason why they were noble. That's Acts 16. So that was what, uh, Pastor Jim taught us last week. So he was in Berea, Paul. He was ministering in Berea and then persecution arose. They stare people around again. And the brethren advised him he had to flee, run away from Berea because of persecution and oppositions that he faced. So now from Acts 16, uh, Acts 17 verse 16, now Paul had to move or flee to Athens. So that's where we are today. So Acts 17, verse 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him. So he observed that the city was full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who were happening to be present. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers as well as were convening with him 
They were conversing with him, and some were saying, what could this scavenger of tidbits want to say? Other seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Oreopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching in which you are proclaiming, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. So we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So now Paul fleeing or running away from Berea is now in Athens. So uh, so today from 16 to 34, that's the passage today. So I break it down this way. Uh, Paul's, uh, the first two verses, 16 to 18, is Paul's, Apostle Paul's mission at heart. What was his heart? What was his mission? We'll find out, uh, today. And then the second breakdown is Apostle Paul's introduced to philosophers in Athens. So that's 19 to 21. So he was taken to the Oreopagus or the philosophers, then he was introduced to them. So what happened then? And then, uh, the third one is Paul's message to philosophers and things. He was given the privilege to speak. And we're going to talk about what did he speak about? That's 22 to 31. And then the last part is 32 to 34 verses in that Acts 17. The three responses to the gospel. How did the people in Anthens respond to Paul's powerful message? We will see those powerful messages today. Or the message today. So, let's go now to that 17 from 16 to 18. Apostle Paul's mission at heart. So, what was his mission? What was he engaging? What was his heart? So, we read, now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he observed that the city was full of idols. So, he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles, and in the marketplace every day with those who, who happened to be there. And some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers as well were conversing with him. Some were saying, what could this scavenger of tidbits say to, want to say? Others, it seems to be proclaimer of day of strange deities, because he was preaching Jesus and resurrection. So we see Paul arrived in Anthens, not of his own plans. No, not at all. He was fleeing persecution and opposition in Berea. And we read that, as we said before, in 17 from that same passage, that same chapter about 15, 10 to 15, that the Jews in Thessalonica, these were the people, he preached in Thessalonica, there was opposition and persecution, he fled to Berea, he was in Berea, and they were agitating the people again, he had to, so the, uh, so, so, uh, the Jews in Thessalonica came to Berea to agitate and stir up the crowd in opposition and persecution of Paul and, the, and his message and the walk in Berea. Then he had to flee from Berea to Athens. So this is where he is right now. So God has not promised us an easy life as Christians, even when we love God, living for Him, doing His will, and being passionate about seeing others come to the saving knowledge of Christ. We often wonder why God, God's people face oppositions and trials and the devil and the world. You see, that's what the Bible tells us in, in John 16, 33. It says, in this world, you will face tribulations, but be of good cheers. I have overcome the world. You know, I mean, if, if I were Paul, 
I mean, I will come to a point where I say, Lord, but I'm doing your will. I'm sharing your word. I'm doing the work. Why all this? Every city that I go to preach, why this opposition? I have to run away. But this is part of challenges of life that God, God told us we will face. In James chapter 1 verse 2 to 4, James was talking to the brethren, the Christians. He says, my brothers or brethren, can't it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, and that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So God's prophecy also, when Paul, he was Saul before, when he was, when he encountered God on the way to Damas, on the way to Damascus, Paul was a, was a, uh, a Pharisee who was persecuting the way Christians in those days. He was putting them in jail. He was killing and maiming. You know, in fact, he was consenting to Stephen's death. Even then, when he encountered God in Acts chapter nine, when he encountered God and he, he got converted. That's Acts chapter nine. He said there was a prophecy. Jesus told him this. Uh, he told Ananias, the man that was afraid even to go to Saul or to Paul to, to pray for him and to lead him to God. So, so this was the prophecy about Paul's life in Acts chapter nine, 15 to 16. Go. This was Ananias. God telling Ananias and said the Lord, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Verse 16. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So also God had already told what was going to happen to Paul. So what happened here? Acts 16, Acts 17, sorry. Verse 16 to 18. Paul was waiting when he fled to, to, to Athens. He was waiting for Timothy and Sarah to join him in Athens. As Apostle Paul strolled around the city of Athens, his spirit was provoked by the abundance of idols he saw. In Athens, there were 30,000 idols in a city of 10,000 people. So someone would say, one is more likely to meet a God, a small God, than a man in Athens in those days. The glorious of Athens was 400 years before Paul came to Athens, or that city. Athens was an intellectual and cultural center of the world. They had these two prominent philosophers or philosophy of life in those days in Athens. They are the Epicurus and the Stoic philosopher. So this was the way those elites in those days in Athens, those were the prominent philosophers or the philosophy of life. So the Epicurus, they followed the teachings of Epicurus. That's a man in those days. This philosophy was materialistic in nature. Teaching was Teaching, teaching that pleasure was the chief goal in life. That was the Epicureans. That intellectual calmness of peace of mind is achieved by overcoming disturbing passions and superstitious fear of death. The Epicureans, they, they, they believe that death is the end of a person. That there is no afterlife and no judgment. So they believe in gods. Those were the Epicureans. Does that not tell you? It seems as if it's, it's our day. Now, 
what was their lifestyle, their philosophy of lifestyle? Their lifestyle is, don't worry, be happy. Akuna Matata. Yes, that was, that was the, you know, more like the summary of the Epicureans. Whatever will happen, will happen. Or it's sera, sera, something like that. So this was their, <laughs> this was their lifestyle. And that's what they believe in. That's how the philosophy. Now we have the other group, the rival group. They are the stoic philosophers. So, and these people, and these were the people that Paul encountered. So this stoic, they followed the teachings of Zeno. They believe that good lies in the soul of individuals. And this, through wisdom and restraints, deliver a person from passion and desires that trouble ordinary life. So the city of Athens, it was an epitome of what man could achieve by his brilliance, but still ignorant of the true God. Philosophy and religion did not enable the Greek to know the true God. But Paul, Paul must have seen this in Antiques. What did he see? He saw a lot of things. Great artistical paintings and breathtaking statues. But the city was filled with idols. Everything in Antiques is the worship of false gods, idolatry. In idol-worshipping world, See, an idol-worshipping world, excuse me, should motivate us to tell people about Jesus Christ. What is an idol? See, an idol is something that we are placed above God. Anything that is more important uh, to us than God is an idol. Idolatry is alive and well today. And all human beings are prone to have idols in our lives. Example of idols? Money. People worship money, sex, social media, movie stars, possessions, sports players, sports. Things we give the qualities, things we give the qualities of God to. Abortion, worship of Mother Earth, anything you hear praise or adoration on. That is idolatry. I'll give you a funny example. An elderly man went to a doctor. For his doctor's vital checkup appointment. And the doctor told him, this is what you have to do to be healthy and live long. You have to eat, stop eating this. You have to stop eating that. You have to change your lifestyle. You have to exercise. And the man was just, he kept looking at the doctor as he was telling what he must do to stay healthy. So after the doctor's appointment, the son was asking his father, so dad, what are you going to do from now on? The other man said, well, I will just change doctors. That's all I'll do. <laughs> so instead of, instead of changing his lifestyle, he said, well, I'll just change the doctor. That is what we do. When we do not like what God says, we change gods. This is idolatry. And that's how a lot of people don't want anything to do with God. See, Apostle Paul was provoked when he was in Athens. He was seeing all these idols. He was compelled, stared of all the things Apostle Paul saw. One seems to make the greatest impression on him. It was not the city was beautiful or one of the greatest cultures and intellectual center of the world. Not that those men like Plato, Aristotle, once walked these streets of Athens. They thought there it was that this great city was filled with idols. I remember when I was in college uh, in 
I think Mount San Antonio College in California. I did a little bit of philosophy and names like Plato and Aristotle came on. I remember that. Uh, so, but you see, the Bible tells us in, in second Peter chapter two, verse seven to nine, it's talking about Lot when he was in Sodom. Now God delivered the righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For the righteous man was dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day, seeing the hearing the lawless deeds. And the Lord knows how to deliver the, the godly out of the temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the judgment day. See, the same way as Lord was not comfortable in that city when he was in, in Sodom. The same way Paul was not comfortable when he was in Athens. What he was seeing was just array of idols. In the midst of these intellectual minds. See, Paul was deeply struck by the lostness of the city and the judgment of God, which each person will someday face. He knew those people that need the Lord Jesus Christ. See, application. I wonder what you see when you look at our cities. When we see our states and our country. Yes, the skyscraper, there are wonderful things happening. When you see the souls of the people, you see we are far from God. We need to have God's heart and spiritual sensitivity to see what God sees and thinks about our cities. So verse 18, what did he say? You see, verse 18 tells us, and some of the Epicureans, so, so when we, okay, so when Paul went to Athens, from 17 and 18, what was happening? So he was reasoning in the synagogues with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And some of the Epicureans, the Stoic philosophers as well, were conversing with him. So Paul was meeting in the synagogues. Not only that, he was going to the marketplace on the streets. And talking to people. Not only that, he was also meeting with the Epicureans, the the the, um, the intellectual minds. So when they saw Paul, there was a comment they say. They say in verse eighteen, and some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him, saying, "What could this scavenger of tidbits say?" Other seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul was called Idobabla. What is this I do Babla saying? That was all these philosophers when they hearing Paul preach about Jesus Christ and salvation. The philosophers were looking down on and making a mockery of Paul when he was sharing Christ with them, calling him I do Babla, uneducated, unsophisticated, not an elite. It's an idea, of, you know, what do you mean I do Babla? It's an idea of a, they call him a seed picker. You know, it's like a bird. A bird picks a seed here to eat, picks another fruit here to eat. So it's just like, they look at Paul as an I do babbler. Somebody picking ideas here, picking ideas here. That's how they look at him. See, what is the application here? See, people at your workplace, your family members, your friends, they may not understand you based on your Christianity. People may think you are weird just because you are a Christian and your words and lifestyle will be laughed at. Just like Paul. They were mocking him. With what he was saying. So let's, let's move on to the next 
to the next breakdown. The next breakdown is Apostle Paul introduced to the philosophers. That's 19 to 21. From verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, we, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. So we want to know what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians... And the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing some new things. Now, the Oreopagus, who are these people? It was the council of elders of the city. And similar to the uh, Senate, the Roman Senate, and like most city-state institutions, it convened to function in Roman times. What appears to these philosophers was not that Paul was brilliant. Yes, he was. Well-educated. Yes, he was. But that his teachings was something new. Something people of Athens were always looking for. They were always looking for something new. Just like us in our generation. We are always restless. Always surfing the internet. Always watching and listening to social media. We are searching for a new experience of looking for something new. Listening to social influencers to influence our lives. See, social media is our go-to when looking for something new. Our society has abandoned God and always searching for something new. The motives of these arrogant philosophers for giving Paul a hearing, you know, they brought him to the area of God. So I want to hear you. What was their motive? Do you think they want to hear, they really want to hear Paul? No. To give him an opportunity to expand his views that were not noble. They think his views were not noble. They were cynical. They were skeptical. They just wanted to, to, you know, hear him and, 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 and just, you know, assess him and critique him. The Areopagus was a court that meets on Areopagus mass eel in Athens. So it was a court. There's a group of people that meets, uh, 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 in this this hill place, this rocky place, that's where they meet these intelligent minds. The case of Paul would naturally come before them. So he sought to subvert their old system of idolatry and establish Christianity in his place. So, you see, Paul was ministering in the synagogues. Paul was sharing on the marketplaces. Paul also was engaging the philosophers. So they are bringing him to Mass Hill... Obviously, they've heard what was going on in him on the street places and everywhere. So they just brought him there to find out what he was teaching in the marketplaces. So we see the heart and the focus of Apostle Paul. Number one, three groups of people he was reasoning with. Jews and god fearing people in the synagogues, everyday passerby in the marketplace, and then with the philosophers. Apostle Paul, after Sabbath, could not just sit around during the week. So he returned into the marketplace daily, talking to each one or anyone who wants to engage. He was engaging and witnessing to the religious, the everyday men and women on the streets, and the intellectuals. So different strata of people. What is this application here? It's a challenge to you and me to see everyone and everything in our lives as opportunity to introduce God and Jesus Christ to people, God brings our way. See, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
That whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, there's a story, there's a, a well-versed preacher. His name was uh, Martin Lloyd. So he's a great preacher in 1941. So he preached in Oxford University, a big intellectual university. So after his message, one of the law students that was a debater stood up and was even mocking Dr. Lloyd. You know, so he admitted he was well, that is, Dr. Lloyd's message was well constructed, well presented, he said it might as well be equally very well been delivered to a congregation of farmers or farm laborers or anyone else. So he was like, well, you know, with the way you spoke to us, this lost today, right? You might as well go on to speak with the laborers because you're, you're not, you don't sound big. You don't sound intellectual like us. It's simple, but we got it. See, Dr. Lloyd, he allowed them to say something and then he responded. So Dr. Lloyd-Jones responded and admitted that he had regarded the undergraduates and the graduate of Oxford University as being just ordinary common human clay and miserable sinners just like everyone else with precisely the same needs as farm laborers. So what he's trying to tell them is, look, I will keep the message simple either to the intellect or to the farmer. I'll keep it simple. So the same way with Paul, he was reaching Either in the synagogues, either in the marketplace, either with the philosophers, Paul was engaging. And no matter, actually that's what he says, uh, in, 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 in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 22. Point Paul was talking, he says, to the weak I became as weak, that I may gain the weak. I made all things, I am made all things to all men, that by means I will save some. Okay, so let's move to the next part. Uh, from verse 23 to 31, Paul's message to the philosophers. So, they gave, they brought Paul to Mass Hill, and then they gave him audience to let him speak. So, verse 22. So, Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are very religious. In all aspects, for I have been passing through and examining the objects of your worship. I also found an altar which is inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, since, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temple made with hands. You see, the people of Athens, the intellectuals, they had 30,000 idols spread all over the place. Now, they had an altar also to an unknown God, meaning that maybe we are missing any other God. We don't want to offend any God. So they went to even put something, okay, let's cover all the bases. So they now created an altar said, to an unknown God. That means we've covered all the bases. If 30,000 idols doesn't do, this last altar to an unknown God will do. See, this is religion. And Paul noted that, that they were religious. That's what he says. Is it religion or relationship with God? What is religion? What we can do to please God. Man's way to earn something from God. 
But God desires relationship. It is not, uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, religion, we can make the signs, you know. What does that mean? It has nothing to do with anything. You know, when I was younger, before I really became a Christian or became born again, I used to take my Bible in Africa then, I put it under my pillow for protection. I used to put my Bible under, thinking that at least when I put my Bible under my pillow and I sleep under, I sleep over the pillow, it will be, it will protect me. Or maybe you will put the cross somewhere. Or we do the sign of the cross. All these are religion. And these people, they put all these idols. These are all, uh, these are all religion. So, so what, what, so what did Paul now say? So Paul began to address them. The Areopagus was the council of elders, the city and, and similar to the Roman Senate. Like most, uh, 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 city-state institutions, it convened to function in the Roman times. Okay. So after they brought him to the area of God. Sorry. So, what is an idol? Idol worship. You see, my wife and I, we just came back from Africa. We went to bury my late mom. She was 88. She loves the Lord. She's passed on to be with the Lord. But in my hometown, it's in Liogbo. That's the name of my hometown. There's still a, a lot of people worshiping idols. Even this is 2022. When we were there this month, this month, no, 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 last month for the burial. You see, there's a tree right at the marketplace in my hometown that they put a white cloth around. And people believe that tree brings them prosperity. The tree protects them. You know, they worship that tree. It's still happening now. We're talking of idol worship. In Nigeria or Africa, some people still practice native religion, like the God of Iron the god of thunder, the goddess of the sea. These things still happen. There's still shrines to these gods, these little gods. Still happening now. Now, my last name is Faleke. That's my last name. I'm a beautiful Faleke. And my ancestors, we worship the god of wisdom. So, it's called Ifa, the god of wisdom. So, um, that's my last name. The meaning, Ifa, the god of wisdom, is great. That's what my last name, that's the meaning in my tribe. So we still, they're still there. Uh, many, see, uh, many Christians in Africa now, they're changing their names, but I refuse to change my name. But you ask the question, why do Africans, tribal people worship idols? As also everywhere else? And I'll give you the reason why. In my culture, the true God is called Olodumare. Olorun means the owner of the heavens, the mighty one. But we see that God is too big and too powerful and far from humans to approach. So we need this little God to help us to talk to the big God. So that's the reason why Africans, when you say Africans, they worship idols, that's what happens. So we go and, you know, worship the little God because we cannot approach this big God. That's the reason why Africans worship idols. And that. Many idols I can, that I cannot name. But you see, God has made a provision. Amen? See, yes, 
is unapproachable, but Christ is the mediator. Amen? Christ is the go-between. So I don't need those little gods. I can have a relationship with this living God. This powerful God, I can have a relationship with him. That's, that's what Christianity liberates or reveals about all these idols. I don't need the go-between. I can have access to the living God. So, also, maybe you're watching on the internet, online. You're a Muslim. You know, you Muslims, you pray five times a day. I understand that. You know, I in, in my country, yes, we have 40% Muslims. You know, you do wudu. What is it? One of the pillars of Islam is you pray five times a day. But before you pray, you must, you're expected to perform a purification ritual called wudu. What do you do? You wash your hands. You wash your face, you wash your ears, you wash your feet. That means before you can pray, you believe you want to get rid of all these impurities to be able to pray. That's how Muslims pray five times a day. Now, let me ask you. You see, you can wash your face, you can wash your feet, you can wash your arms. But only God, through Christ, can wash your heart. And that is what Christianity brings. Heart washing, deliverance from guilt and sin. See, so Apostle Paul was introduced to the philosophers in Athens. And then this was Apostle Paul's uh, message to the philosophers in Athens. So from verse 22. So he stood. And what was the message? And the Areopagus say, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all aspects. For while I was passing through, examining the objects of worship, I found an altar to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, I will proclaim to you. Now, Paul now giving them seven points, seven things about the true God. And then let's, let's see those seven things that Paul introduced the philosophers in Athens to those intellectuals, the only true God, seven ways about God. The first one is verse 24. The first one says, God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temple made with hands. That's number one. God is the creator. He's their creator. Those philosophers. Everything. See, God has made the whole world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made by hands. This one true God made everything, including the heavens and the earth. The Epicureans were wrong in believing that world was a chance combination of matter and time. You see, the Epicureans, they were just like the, like the believing in evolution of today. A big bang theory, whatever that is. It's the same thing. It doesn't have to say it's just by chance. Everything happened by chance. You know, it's, for the world we're living today to happen just by chance. Somebody said it's like a tornado comes around and after the tornado, then they assembled a Boeing 747. How can it happen? A Boeing 7 with all the intrigue of all the parts of Boeing 7. I mean, when I, when I fly on airplanes, I'm intrigued about all that happened. Can you imagine? And then the human parts too, intriguing. How come the trees Bring, breathe out oxygen. And I bring out carbon dioxide. And I bring the oxygen that the trees bring out. How, how does that symbiotic system happen? Was it by chance? See, God is the creator. So he made them know. That's the first one. That he told the Epicureans. 
Those philosophers. Number two, that God is Lord. He's Lord. The Lord who made the world, that's verse 23, and everything in it, is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not need dwell in temples made by hands. To be Lord means that he is the undisputable supreme ruler of this world. He is not only... He not only made the world, but rules over it, deciding what will take place in it and determines what is wrong and what is right. See, there was a, uh, a, a, a politician, Charles Colson. He was the special advisor to President Nixon. You know, he was saying that when they wanted to make decisions concerning America, President Nixon would tell them at the Oval Office, whatever that is, they make decisions. He said, now, the decision we're about to make will impact not only the United States, but the whole world. That they used to feel powerful, big, as they make decisions for America and the world. Charles Cousin said, after leaving office, he took a trip to Rome, and he saw the ruins of the Roman Empire. And there and then, he bowed his knees to worship God, because he saw the ruins of those who thought they were, they were in charge of the world in those days. And that, now they are seeing their ruins. But now, all their empires and powers are in ruins. Only the true God is Lord, is Lord of all powers, and only Him will reign forever. Number three, God is transcendent. See, He made them to know that in verse 24. The same 24. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. You see, the Lord who made the world and everything in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temple made with hands. So that nullifies any holy place here on earth. It doesn't do anything. See, my imagination's wrong. Why? When I first gave my life to Christ and I, I began to imagine, you know, this God, this big God. The Bible says, heavens is my throne. See, we in Africa, we have kings. So we understand the majesty of being, of king, of their palaces, of their thrones. We understand that. You see, when the Bible says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool, all I picture is God, the throne sitting in heaven and his leg is touching the earth. That's all I picture. That's majesty. That's bigness. See, God transcends. So, number four, he was also letting the, uh, the, this, the philosophers know in verse 25. Nor is he served by human hands. As though he needed anything. See himself give all the people life and breath and all things. He's all sufficient. He's serving all human. He's not, you know, he doesn't need human hands to serve him. He gives all people life and breath and things. You see, think about that. When a child, a baby is born, it takes the first breath. And when I was looking at how heartbeats in seconds, heartbeats, how many seconds the heartbeats, I mean, you see the wonders of creation of God. You see, uh, and, and then you, you somebody tell us you're a self-made man. Well, okay. Maybe when you were born, they leave you alone to be a self-made. How will you make yourself? If, they, if you're born, say you're self-made, let them leave you alone when you're born and then see how you're going to make yourself. So also number five, God is sovereign. He's sovereign. Verse 26. And he made from every man, nation, and mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the appointed times and the boundaries 
of their habitation. So he let them know that God is sovereign. And then number six, God is imminent. That means existing and operating within. See, verse 27 to 28, that is what he let them know that too. 27 and 28. And they will, that they will seek God if perhaps they will grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. And in him we live and move and exist. Even some of your own poets says, for we are of his offspring. Now, that they will seek after him, perhaps they might grope. See, God orchestrates our time and our and events to make us to know him. Your, your, your ways in life are not by chance. God weaves it, God folds it, God makes it to meet this person, to meet that person, and then to meet the Lord. The reason why you're here today is not by chance. What you're hearing us today is not by chance. These are divine ways. God has woven it that you can seek the Lord or find him. That's what he's saying there. And then lastly, number seven, God is living. That's number seven. God is, that's verse 29. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is gold or silver or stone. Image formed by the arts and thoughts of man. I mean, you could see the Epicureans when he's saying all this temple, I mean, made with hands, all these sculptures. God doesn't, I mean, that's not God. So, Paul pointed here, Paul pointed here is that God is not at all like idols, man-made, not of inanimate gold, silver, stone, all of which are innate, inert and dead. God, on the other hand, is very much alive. And then lastly, he now told them about uh, what they need to do. Verse 30. He says, therefore, uh, having overlooked the time of ignorance, God is now declaring all men in all places they should repent. See, God is merciful. There are so many things he has overlooked. If I look at my personal life, even now, even yesterday, even day before yesterday, some of the things I'm doing that God overlooked is mercy his mercy over us. So many things he doesn't count against us because of his mercy and grace. He says, now it's time to repent. This is a, a word we don't hear often. Repentance. What does that mean? Repentance is turning from sin and turning to God. It's time to repent. We need to repent. I need to repent. He's telling them that they need to repent. And, and, and also John said that in Matthew 3 to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Change your ways. Let's change our lifestyle. You know, before I go, the passages are here. John 3, 3. Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Are you born again? Are you born from above? Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. All of us. We've all seen. There's a target. There's a goal. There's a bullseye. God's standard. We've all missed that standard. Thank God for the mercy of God. And Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is not life in Christ Jesus. The wages of sin is the salary that I deserve. What I deserve is death and destruction and hell. But thank God for his mercy. There's a gift that God gives that I don't work for. It's the mercy of God. John 14 verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except by me. So I want to encourage us today. As the Lord is saying. So this was some of the things that 
Paul was challenging the Epicureans, the philosophers in those days. And in the last part, what were the three responses? The three responses. How did they, how did they respond with this powerful message? Well, let's see the response to Paul. Verse 32 to 34. Now when they heard the transaction of the dead, some began to scoff. But others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out from among them, and some men joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysius, the Oriopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. How did the people respond to Paul's message? Such a powerful message? What the Bible tells us. Some were just mocking. They were rejecting him. So don't be... Don't be discouraged when you talk to people about God and they mock you. They did that to Paul. Then some procrastinate. Well, we hear you some other time. Okay, please. That's even Paul with the powerful message. That was the response. And then lastly, very few accepted the message. So in conclusion, we see the philosophers in Athens were just like the typical American cities of our day. These people enjoy the freedom and the blessings of democracy. But they forget the God, the blesser. You know, there's a guy who used to tell me, so, you know, God bless America. God bless America. Is that? That's a good saying. Is that not? Well, let's flip it around. America, bless God. He has blessed you. Bless God. So, I leave you with these questions. Are you in a relationship with, with the true God? Or are you religious? Are you born again? Would you like to engage your culture? What are your idols? Have you surrendered to one who gave you life and breath? Have you repented? Are you repenting? Would you be engaged with this culture? Let us pray. Maybe you're here today. You've heard this, the Epicureans, the philosophers. They heard the message. Maybe you're touched today. Maybe you want to give your life to Christ. Maybe you want to be born again. You said, you know, you know, brother, how what do I start? It's very simple. Just like what he told us, you need to repent. Just tell God you're sorry for all your ways. Acknowledge that he is the, is the giver of your life. He gave you life and breath. He has, and he's willing to forgive. He's willing to turn your life around. Ask God to forgive you. Jesus died on the cross that you might have a new life, have a new beginning. I want to ask God, you want to pray with me that dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming to this world to die for my sins. I thank you that you leading me to God, come to my heart, be the Lord of my life. God, I thank you that you gave me life and all there is. Help me, teach me, uh, give me a new life and thank you for making me to be born again. In Jesus' name we are prayed. Amen. If you pray that prayer, I want to encourage you. Uh, uh, you know, you see some of the elders or the pastors, and, uh, and God, God bless you. Thank you.